I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to begin by saying this is not, I want you to write this down, to scare you. but to prepare you. Let's all say it out loud. Not to scare you, but to prepare you. So if you're taking notes, write that right across the top of your page, and I'm going to take it right off because I need this space. So what I'm going to teach today is not meant to scare you, but to, to prepare you. So put that on the top of your page. And today we're going to begin in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse one. And when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, the Holy Spirit is speaking. The Apostle Paul is writing by divine inspiration. And he says, this know also, that in the what days? Last days, perilous times shall come. Then he tells us, beginning in verse 2, why they will be perilous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded. Underline this, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We'll come to this in the next service. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. But in this service, we're going to be dealing primarily with verse 1. Now, as you read 2 Timothy, Paul is dealing with internal problems inside the church until you come to the end of chapter 2. But when you come to chapter 3, he shifts into another realm and begins prophesying about the last days. And as you will see, he begins to prophesy about the last of the last days. And I don't know if you've ever had anybody do this, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to write on the board in Greek. Is that all right? And I'm going to explain this to you, and I believe it's important for me to do this in Greek because it just brings out a whole new level of teaching. And if I could have just a little bit more monitor up here. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Greek says, Tauto, which means these things, they also, and this is emphatic, it's almost like Paul is lifting his voice now and is screaming. He's no longer speaking in a normal tone of voice, but he says, this things also, I really want you to know, ginoske. This word ginoske means to know. It means to emphatically know. What he is about to describe is 100%. There is no mistaking of this word. Furthermore, it is an imperative, which means it is imperative that you know this. Not only is it imperative, it is active, which means you need to know it right now. It is also present, which means you need to keep knowing it in the future. I want you to emphatically know this, know it now, keep knowing it, never forget it. And so now Paul is speaking in very strong terms. These things also very emphatically, I want you to know. I want you to know it now. I want you to continuously know it. Know it 100%. So what he is about to describe is not something that could possibly happen, 
but it's something that will definitely take place, and he's going to tell us in the last days. Then he says, Hoti. Hoti is what we call a purpose clause, which tells us what it is that we need to know. Then he says that in, it's the word in, and this locks us into a time frame. In eschatis, himirais, eschatis is actually the Greek word eschatos. It is where we get the word for eschatology. How many of you have heard the word eschatology? And it describes the study of last things. The study of last things. However, when you take the word eschatos all by itself, this word eschatos describes something that is ultimate, something that is final. If it was used in a nautical way, it described the very last port. If you came to that port, it was the last port. You could not go any further. And it was described to describe the ends of the earth. If something was eschatos, you could go no further because it was the farthest point. The farthest point. You say, why is this so important? Because the Holy Spirit is being very specific. He says, these things also, in addition to everything I've already told you about the problems in the church and what you need to do inside the church, these things also, raising his voice, I want you to emphatically know, know it now, know it always, never forget it. And here it is, that locked into the period of eschatis himiras. When you have come to the ultimate times, when you've come to the final moment, when you've come to the last port and there is no other port, when you've come to the very end of what there is, the farthest point. And then he uses the word himiras, which is the word days. So when you put these two words together, it means final days. Everybody say final days. So Paul is now describing what is going to take place in the lost society in the final days. And this word eschatos leaves no room for doubt. We're not talking about some other days, but it is very emphatically talking about the last days or the final days. Now, here is the problem. People who are a little cynical say, oh, they've been saying that it's the last days for the last 2,000 years. Well, that's correct. When did the last days begin? Anybody know? It began on the day of Pentecost. The day there was the cross, and when the cross came, the period of law stopped. Can you say amen to that? There was a brief interlude, and the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter stood, and he said, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the, what did he say? Last days I will pour out my spirit upon all church, upon all flesh. And God is so specific, we even know that it happened at 9 o'clock in the morning. 
We even know it was the year 33. And on that very day, at that very time, God poured out his spirit and a brand new period began. And that period has lasted approximately 2,000 years. Now, some people call this the church age. And that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Some people call this the age of grace. Nothing wrong with that because it is the age of grace. But the term which is used in the New Testament, the theological term is the last days. And Peter prophesied the last days began on the day of Pentecost. And for nearly 2,000 years, we have been living in this period called the last days. And it will culminate whenever the Lord comes from the air and we meet him in the air. Can you say amen to that? This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is what we have come to call the rapture, which is a Latin term which describes the catching away of the church. This is not the second coming. We will go to heaven, and we will be in heaven for seven years. And during those seven years, they will be very active years. This will be when the judgment seat of Christ takes place. This will be at the very end when the marriage feast of the Lamb takes place. And at the end of the seven years, Christ will come to the earth and the Bible says that thousands and ten thousands will come with him. So if you ever wonder, what are we going to do in heaven? First of all, when the church is raptured, we're only going to be there for how long? Seven years. And during those seven years, there will be intense education. The Lord will be preparing us. And then we will come with the Lord back to the earth. And by the way, this is not news the Bible tells us that Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, all the way from the beginning, prophesied this moment. And this moment is called the second coming, which in Greek is the word parousia. And the word parousia means the big event. This is the big event. But the rapture of the church is not the big event. The rapture of the church is when we meet the Lord in the air. We go to heaven. For seven years, we are in heaven. And by the way, during the seven years which we are in heaven, God begins to unopen the scrolls. He begins to pour out bowls of judgment. And this will be the most intense activity in a short period of time which God has ever conducted upon the earth. This is the time when the Antichrist will come to power. This will be a time of great judgment. And it will be a time when many people are saved. And, that, and those people will be martyred for their faith. And that is why the marriage feast of the Lamb is held to the very end of this period. Because no one who gets saved during the tribulation is going to miss the marriage feast of the Lamb. But at the end, we return with the Lord. And then it begins the next period, which is called the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. So the point is... If anyone gets sarcastic and says, oh, the last times, the last times, the last times, they've been talking about the last times for 2,000 years, well, that's correct. The last times have lasted approximately 
2,000 years. Began on the day of Pentecost, and we are living in the last times. And this word eschatos describes the final days. Notice it doesn't even say eschatos ura, which would be the last hour. It says himiras. It's describing the final days as you come to the very, 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 very end. And it is the last port. It's as far as you can go. And this is what Paul is prophesying. He is describing that block of time which will develop in society. What will happen in the world, the chief characteristics of the world, just before the catching away of the church. Okay, did you get that? All right. Now, remember, I was just asked to do this about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> now, continue there in your Bible, and let's continue. It says, Tautos, these things also raising his voice emphatically. This is something you absolutely must know. It is imperative that you know it, that you never forget it, that it always stays with you. And then he says, Hoti, the Hoti clause, that, here's what I want you to know, that in the time period of the eschatos himirais, when you've come to the very, 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 very end, in fact, when you've come to the end of days, end of days, then he says something very interesting. He says, in Stesantai, Kairoi, it's the word Kairos, Kairoi, Kalapoi. This word, in Stesantai, is a compound of two words. It's the word in, which means to be in something. And the word stay means to stand. When you put these two words together, it means to be standing in the middle of something and completely surrounded by it. You're not just standing near it, but you're in it. You're completely surrounded by it. You can't get out of it. Everywhere you look, there it is. You look here, there it is. You look there, there it is. And so you could translate this as encumbered, encumbered. You could translate it as surrounded. And one expositor has translated it as the word trapped. And the whole idea is once you come to this last moment, you are going to be standing in the last moment. You will be surrounded by it on every hand. And the characteristics of that last day's society will be all around you. And the church will be standing right in the middle of it. And the Apostle Paul says, these things know emphatically that when you're locked into eschatos hemetos, the end of days, you will find yourself encumbered, surrounded, even trapped on every side. And what does he say they will be? Kairoi. Kairoi is the word for seasons. And the word kalapos, very, very important here. 
This word kalapos is translated as the word perilous. Everybody say perilous. But the word kalapos describes something that is hard, difficult, to bear, hurtful, wounding, can even be translated as the word biting or danger or even high risk. So the Holy Spirit says these things know emphatically. Know it, never forget it, always remember it. That when you are locked into the eschatos himidos, when you come to the very end of days, which really could be translated the last of the last days. We're not even talking about the whole period of the last days, but the very last of the last days. We've come as far as you can go. We've come to the very last port just before the catching away of the church. And the Bible says we will find ourselves in the world encumbered, surrounded, trapped on every side, standing in the middle of seasons that are calipoi, hard, difficult to bear, hurtful, wounding, biting, dangerous, or what does it say? High risk. Now, when you do word studies in the Greek New Testament, you study where these words are used elsewhere in the New Testament. And this word kalapoi is plural of the word kalapas. And the word kalapas is only used in Matthew 8, verse 28. So you have to go there to see how else this word is used in the New Testament. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 and verse 28. Are you with me? Matthew 8, verse 28. It seems like I'm moving a little slow. I'm trying to remember as I teach. Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes... There met him two possessed with devils, very interesting, coming out of the tombs. Now, I want to say, first of all, that when we read this, and we will read this in the Gospel of Mark, it only mentions one who was possessed with devils. Matthew is more inclusive to tell every detail. Mark always tells the most dramatic event. So if there were two men and one man was more demon-possessed than the other, Mark would have only talked about the one that was the most dramatically possessed. He always talks about the most dramatic. But in fact, there were not one, there were two. And when he was come out of the country of the, into the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils. Now I've got to make room up here because we've got to write this down. We're talking about the word kalapos. Everybody say kalapos. Difficult, hard to bear, wounding, biting, dangerous. Now let's look and see what it says. What does it say next? Again, our word is Calipus. There met him two out of the tombs, possessed with 
devils coming out of the tombs, and there we have it, exceeding fierce. Everybody say exceeding fierce. Exceeding fierce is this word kalopos. It is the same Greek word which Paul uses in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. So when the Bible says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, it literally means exceedingly fierce times. And to understand how the word kalopos is used, you have to look at this entire verse and find what it is associated with. And we find that it's associated with devils. It's associated with tombs. It's associated with that which is exceeding fierce. Sorry about that. Exceeding fierce. And then it says, so that no man could pass by that, what? Way, which means it was impassable. People tried to avoid that area because it was so dangerous. It was impassable. Now turn to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, we find the same story of the demoniac. And in Matthew chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, it fills in the other details. I'm going to move this pulpit, may I? Mark chapter 5, it says, They came over unto the other side of the Sea of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the what? Tombs. Now a second time, we're told he was in the tombs. A man with a what? Unclean spirit. Unclean is the Greek word for sexual uncleanness. Sexual uncleanness. There met him out of the tombs a man with a sexually unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the what? Tombs. Now, when the Holy Spirit repeats one thing over and over and over, it's always for the sake of emphasis. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, so he was not, he was out of control. He was out of control who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man, what? Tame him. He was not tameable. And to show you, this word, tameable, was the same word which was used to describe one who would describe tame wild lions, wild bears. This was an animal tamer. They had brought in professionals who could tame the wildest of animals, but they were unable to tame this man. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs. Now the Holy Spirit has told us four times he was in the tombs. This man has death on his mind. And what was he doing in the tombs? Crying and what? Everybody say cutting. Does everybody understand what a serious problem cutting has become to the younger generation? 
they were crying and cutting themselves with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. This man was tormented, tormented. Now, if you would turn over to the gospel of Luke and let's see what Dr. Luke has to say about this experience. Luke chapter eight. And in Luke chapter eight, beginning to verse 27, he adds more words which go with the word calipus. Verse 27. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils. So now twice we're told that he had devils. Neither abode in any house, but where? In the tombs. So now five times it tells us he's in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? I beseech thee, torment me not. So now twice we've been told that he is tormented. He's tormented. For he had commanded the unclean spirit... Now we find the word unclean again. And by the way, this word unclean describes sexual uncleanness. And it tells us that probably this man had opened something in his mind which had become the entrance for these demon powers to find the way into his life. Maybe he had meditated on something wrong or he had looked at something wrong where he had used his mind to fantasize, but in some way through his mind, uncleanness had entered into him. And when that unclean door was opened, all these spirits began coming into this man. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for oftentimes it caught him, and he was kept, what? Bound. So we're talking about somebody that is bound, not free. And he broke the chains and was what? Driven. It describes someone that is so anxious that they cannot stay in one place. When Denise and I were young in the ministry, we had a man that came to our church. And the first time that he came to our church, we were shocked because his arms had been slit from about here to here on both sides of his arms, just slit after slit after slit, where he had multiple times tried to commit suicide and could not kill himself. And during the service, he began to speak in some tongue that was not a Holy Spirit tongue, and then some demonic voice began to speak through him. And we would see this man, and he was a barber. And I actually went to him to get my hair cut because I wanted to minister to him. But when he pulled out the razor to do the back of my neck, I decided until this man was set free, I was not coming back to him to get a haircut. He was just a little too close for comfort. But we would see this man early in the morning walking on one side of the city, literally just driven, just walking as fast as he could fast as though he was going somewhere. In the afternoon, we would still see him walking and walking and walking. 
he rarely worked because he was driven of the devil, just constantly walking, 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 had no peace whatsoever. And when Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? He said, Legion. Notice he said, up until this time, Jesus was just speaking to one demon. But he said, he, he said Legion, because many devils were entered into him. A legion was 6,000. 876. So this man had almost 7,000 demons on the inside of him. But the point that I want you to see is about this word kalapas. This word kalapas, the only time that it is used outside of 2 Timothy chapter 3, it is used in connection with demons or demonic activity. It is used in connection with Death, tombs, 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 tombs. It describes an environment that is exceedingly fierce. We would say a place that is dangerous, filled with high risk, so dangerous that it is impassable. No one wants to go that way. No one knows how to go that way. This word, kalapas, is associated with sexual uncleanness. It describes a situation that is out of control, something that is so out of control that it cannot be tamed, it cannot be brought under control. It is described with cutting or self-masculation, someone that is tormented and tormented. This word kalapas is used to describe people that are bound and people that are driven. They have no sense of peace. So now when you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 1, you have to keep all the associations of this word kalapas in your mind as you read this verse, and this is the value of doing a Greek word study. He says, this know also, know it emphatically, that locked into the last days, eschatas himiras, the final days, when you can go no further, when you've come to the very end, when you've come to the last port, just before the catching away of the church. He said, perilous times or kalapas times shall come. And he describes the world as being a place, understanding the associations with kalapas, where there will be demonic activity, where people will have death on their mind. All you have to do is watch television every day and see all the programs about death and about murder. It is the number one thing that's on television today. People have death, 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 death on their mind. And as if programs about murder is not enough, then we have to have scientific programs to find out why they were murdered and how they were murdered and vampires. It's an amazing thing. And the world has become exceedingly fierce. We're seeing things happen in our world today that we have never seen happen in our world. And in fact, it seems we've hit an impasse. No one knows how to pass through this time. And in this last port where we are, there is sexual uncleanness on a level like there has never been sexual uncleanness in the history of the world. By the way, pornography is not new. All you have to do is go to the ancient city of Pompeii and you can see pornography, not art, pornography portrayed on the walls. They had pornography at that time as well, but nothing like today where your children are able to access it through the internet. We are living in a day when it seems that all systems are out of control. 
You're going to see more of this if you attend the next service. In fact, things are so out of control that it seems it's not tameable. It doesn't matter what Congress does. doesn't do, matter what the Senate does. doesn't matter what anybody else does. It seems like we have come into a situation that is untamable. And I find this cutting very interesting in connection with the word calipos. We were recently meeting with the chaplain of girls at a major Christian university, major Christian university, who told us one of the greatest problems she has to deal with is the girls that are cutting themselves. They're cutting themselves in order to relieve stress and in order to relieve pressure. And of course, all you have to do is walk through the mall and you see people who have holes cut all over them. And the Bible said this would happen just before the coming of the Lord. And it describes a tormented generation, a generation that may claim to be free, but in fact, it is the most bound generation and a generation that has no peace. It is a driven generation. So now let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This know also that in the last days, when we've come to the last port, when we can go no further, or when we've come to the last of the last days, the final days, hazardous times shall come. Then beginning in verse 2, he begins to describe the characteristics of that society just before the catching away of the church. He says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then he gives us the warning and says, from such, turn away. Now, remember what I told you at the first of this message. This was not meant to scare you, but to prepare you. Why would the Holy Spirit tell us all of this? And as we begin in verse 2 in the next service, the scriptures are just going to open before your eyes. Why would the Holy Spirit tell us these things? If it's not to scare us, it is to prepare us because he is speaking to a last day's generation and he does not want the church, everybody say the church, to become a part of this scene that is going to develop in the last of the last days. And friends, we are a last day's generation. I am a last day's pastor. You are a last day's believer. We are living in these times and we're living in hazardous times, a time when Demonic powers are just running wild. When people have death on their mind, it's exceedingly fierce. It seems everything is impassable. There's sexual uncleanness on a level like we've never seen. Things are out of control, not tameable. People are cutting and slicing themselves. They're tormented, bound, driven. All of these things can be found just in one word in verse 1, the word perilous. But then when you get to verse 2, the Holy Spirit then begins to describe the unraveling that will take place in society 
just before the catching away of the church and what our response should be to these times.